Chapter 6 says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, <clears throat> because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, and he saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth, a denarii was a day's wage, eight months' wages. Two hundred denarii of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may even take a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are these among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, and notice, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. <clears throat> Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This of a truth is that prophet that should come into the world, the one Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy. So... John chapter 6 now takes us into Galilee, and of all of the other miracles that we have record of in Galilee, um, in the other Gospels, this is the only miracle in Galilee that we have from John relative to the other ones. Um, this is, though, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels before the resurrection. So you think, Lord, what's the deal here, you know, with this picture? And I think there's some great stuff here for us, but it's almost as though, you know, the, the God says, look, okay, whatever gospel you read 2,000 years from now, I want you to get this story. All of the differences between the four gospels, there's one thing that's in all four gospels, and I want you to see that, and I want you to take hold of it. John says it was after these things that Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. Now he tells us which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now he's writing, remember, 90 AD. John is over 90 years old. Uh, twice 
life expectancy. It'd be like a 140, 160-year-old today. And these things come back like crystal clear, like they just happened. But he's writing to the Gentile church. He says, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. He was there in the boat. He was with him. And he said, which is the Sea of Tiberias? Because Agrippa had built Tiberias and dedicated it to Caesar Tiberius, and it was a city that was still remaining. And because of the Romans, the, the, the lake, Kinneroth, it was called Sea of Galilee, uh, Sea of Genezaret. It was then called the Sea of Tiberias. That was the official name. And, and he says, Jesus went across that as he's leaving the ministry he had had in Judea. And a great multitude <clears throat> followed him. Reason, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with the disciples. And then again, John says, and the Passover, and he tells his readers, which is a feast of the Jews, was nigh. So he opens up and he draws a picture for us. Back in Galilee, multitudes are following him. We're not sure how many. Uh, Matthew, there are those who, who keep, seem to indicate that at one point, as fast as they're throwing people down that are sick, he's healing them. And there's estimates, it says in Matthew, the end of chapter 4, they're following him from Decapolis, from Judea, from beyond Damascus, uh, from all over Galilee. They estimate there may have been 40,000 people sometimes crowding in because of the miraculous ministry. And Jesus had sent out the disciples, and they did the ministry. They had gone into different villages and preached the gospel. And now they've come back, and they begin to tell him everything that happened. They're giving him six reports because they were in pairs. But as Jesus said, look, let's, let's get alone. Let's get, take, take a break. And uh, so they head across the Sea of Galilee to have some time alone with the master. Just imagine the discussion in the boat as they're going Sea of Galilee about... Uh, 15 miles long, seven miles across. And uh, they're going and they're talking the boat. The guys are probably thinking, great, this is great. We get a vacay, you know, just get some time with them. But the problem is the Sea of Galilee, it's all visible. It, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a lake and you can see all around it. So the people, the masses, saw Jesus and his disciples headed in a direction and they start running around the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. People, you know, the joining, uh, no doubt there's men and women. There's a little boy there with five loaves and two fishes. You know, uh, no doubt the halt and the lame were the last ones to get there, but they were being brought specifically because of their illnesses. And when Jesus and the guys get over there, they get out of the boat, you know, and there's 10,000 people, hey, you know, and the, and the guys are thinking, I thought we were getting alone, you know. And Jesus goes up and sits down on the mountain, it says, and he looks out on this crowd. It says in verse 5, Jesus lift up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. Now, you find this recorded in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke chapter 9. And it tells us there, he looked at the multitude Matthew and Mark, and he had compassion on them. Matthew says, because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Judaism, which had become a legalistic system, was doing little for them. 
He understood their hunger for spiritual things. And he looks out at this multitude, his heart is moved. It tells us there were 5,000 men, 5,000 males. And then Matthew says, plus women and children. So there's over 10,000 people here. Imagine five of our services Sunday morning completely packed. That, that's what you're you know, ministering to. Uh, so there's a multitude, it tells us. And Jesus has compassion on them. His heart is broken as he looks at them. So he talks to his disciples, talks to Philip first. And he says, he asks Philip a question to try him, to prove him. It means he's testing him in some respect. And it says, because Jesus knew what he was going to do. Whenever he asked us to do something or he asked us, it's not because he doesn't know what we're going to say. And when he asks us, he already knows what he's going to do anyhow. It says, so he talked to Philip <clears throat> and, he, and he says to him, you know, where can we buy bread, Philip, that this multitude may eat? And he says, right away he calculates it, he said to prove him, he knew what he was going to do. So Philip answers and says this, 200 days wages, eight, eight months of wages of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, and his handle is Simon Peter's brother, gets into the, the act here. Now, <clears throat> why Philip? Why Andrew steps in? I don't know their specific reasons, but it does tell us in the other gospels they're in the area of Bethsaida. And we know that Peter and Andrew, uh, John, James and John, Philip tells us in John chapter one, they're from Bethsaida. So they knew this area. They knew it well. They knew where the towns were. They knew if there were any stores. It's getting towards evening, Matthew says, and the, the Greek word speaks of the early evening, three in the afternoon, which is a time of the evening sacrifice. And Jesus sees the multitude. There's kids, there's wives, there's grandmas and grandpas, you know, and 5,000 men. And to prove Philip, he says, what are we going to do here? How are we going to take care of them? How are we going to feed them? And Philip says, well, even if we had eight months salary, imagine what that is today. We can only buy, you know, enough bread for each of them to have a little bit. Probably the same today with inflation is still the same, probably. Uh, and Jesus is testing him. Then Andrew speaks up. So these are guys, they're the experts. They know the area. And the disciples are saying, Jesus is saying, what should we do? And they're saying, send them away. Send them away. You know, this is the disciples of the Lord. Send them away. That's, you know. Ben <clears throat> Philip says, we can't buy. There's not enough. He said, the closest McDonald's is 2,000 years away. You know, there's no, there's no, we can't, there's nothing here. We can't get hold of it. We can't do anything here for these people. And then Andrew says this in verse 9. Well, there's a lad here. Now, it's a little lad. It's called a double diminutive because the word lad can be used in different ways. This is talking about a little boy here, which has five barley loaves and two small fish. Notice if you have King James, then there's a colon. There's a pause. And then Andrew says, but... What are these among so many? So, 
You read the other gospels and Jesus said to them, go find out what we have. So they must have gone through the crowd saying, hey, anybody got anything? Anybody got anything? And there's a kid, this is a little boy, eight years old, who knows? We're glad it's not a teenager because they'd have ate it themselves. You know, anybody have anything? And this little kid naively says, I, I have uh, five loaves and two fish. Now, these are not five big Italian loaves and two tunas. These are barley loaves. Three, these are five English muffins. That's about the size. And, and barley was eaten by the poor, the less fortunate. Those who were affluent ate bread made of wheat. Five barley loaves, which was used to, to, for livestock as well. Five barley loaves two sardines. And this kid says, oh, I, I've, I've got this. God bless him, you know. And, and uh, so th- what are we going to do if we had day months wages? We couldn't do this. And then Andrew speaks up and says, well, there's a, there's a little boy here. He's got uh, five English muffins and two sardines. All the other guys must turn and look at him. <laughs> And that's the colon there. And he says, uh, yeah, but uh, what are these among so many, right? You know, kind of a thing. And then Jesus remarkably says, we'll make them sit down. And we're going to find out what they are in his hands. In his hands. And that's one of the great lessons here, no doubt. Look, one of the things we know is it, uh, it tells us in chapter 14, it's Philip again. He says to Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus will say to Philip, Philip, hast thou been with me so long and yet hast thou not known me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So one of the things we know when Jesus is feeding this multitude, it's the heart of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because we live in a world where people say to us, you're a Christian, oh, God of love. How come there's starving people? How come this goes on? How come there's, you know, this is going on? Why is there disease? Why is all this? Well, if you want to know the answer to how God feels about those things, you watch Jesus and you get to see that. And for you and I, it tells us that God the Father in heaven cares about our table. He cares about our hunger. He cares about the common things in our lives. Sometimes we think we don't. Sometimes all we think is, what are these among so many? What are, I, I, I don't have nothing to give. Look, we look at Philadelphia, million and a half people. Greater Delaware Valley, six million people. Uh, they say if you take a 150-mile radius off of Philly, it's the most populated diameter in the globe. Takes in New York City and Newark and Baltimore and Philly and Atlantic City. The pop, we're in the middle of one of the fattest fishing holes on the globe. And you and I, we, you know, we might look around and think, well, what do I have? What do I have? Five loaves and two fish. Lord, I get, I get nothing. What am I going to do? I got nothing. What am I going to bring to bear? I got nothing here relative to this. You, you look at the insanity with Washington and politics and COVID and Ukraine and everything is going on. You think, I'm just an individual. I just sit in a church on Sunday. What do I got? Well, I got nothing. But in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, bring them to me. They said, well, all we got is five loaves and two fish. He says, bring them to me. You see, what they are in our hands is one thing and what they are in his hands are an entirely different thing. It's the same with you and I. 
And, and there's a great exhortation here for moms, too. This mom, these five loaves and two fish, she's just exercising her stewardship. And evidently, the, the, the family's not wealthy at all. And all these people are going by in the morning, and her son starts running out the door. She said, where are you going? He said, the, the healer, the healer. And she said, did you brush your teeth? You know, comb your hair. You know, what did you do this? Do you have a PBJ? What do you mean you're going, you know? So she gives them five loaves and two fishes, not knowing she was going to feed a multitude and feed us 2,000 years later, just by what she had in her hand. What are these among so many? All she was doing was exercising her stewardship the way you and I need to exercise ours. I work in a, in a car garage. I'm a computer programmer. I do this and I do the, well, what's in your hand? He, he doesn't ask for more than you have, but if you'll give him all that you have, he can do miracles with that. He can do miracles with it. <clears throat> and, and moms, you know, just you, you think, what, what can I do? I'm at home. I got four little kids, three little kids, two little kids, 19 little kids, whatever you have, you know. And, and, you know, I got this, and I, you know, we're just trying to make ends meet, and we're running out to, to work, and we're doing this. And my wife was sharing at the, uh, the women's uh, study on parenting, and, and uh, she read this quote, and I misquoted her first service. She texted me and let me know right away. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just this woman said, you know, I had, when I, we had one kid, we had one laundry basket. When we had two kids, we had two laundry baskets. When we had three kids, we had laundry on the desk, on the sofa, on the coffee table, on every flat surface in the house, and we named our fourth kid laundry. You know, so, so there's that endless pile of wash. There's that routine that, that a mom has, you know, and, and you think, what do I do with this? This is what I have, Lord. Listen close, moms. Because he may be saying, bring it to me. Give that to me. Be steward over that. I think, you know, so often we're bad stewards over time. A couple extra minutes here, an extra hour there. We do some goofy stuff, you know. Bring it to me. Put it in my hands. Hudson Taylor, the one who began the China Inland Mission, said, if we will do the Lord's work in the Lord's way, we will never lack the Lord's provision. If we'll do the Lord's work in the Lord's way, we never lack the Lord's provision. D.L. Moody, and it's in the book called Passion for Souls, during the Civil War, his church was going on the battlefield and they were feeding those that needed food. They were, they were patching up the wounded, whether they were Confederate or Union, they were just showing the love of Christ. And they got into one situation where everybody was starving, there was no food, and they got on their knees and began to pray, Lord, we need bread, we need food. We get, you know, Lord, we're willing to serve you and do what you want. But, you know, and early the next morning, they heard these wagons, and here comes these wagons filled with bread. And the guy said, we live in a village here, wherever it was, a town. And last night, my wife and I were praying, and the Lord put it on our heart, make as many loaves of bread as you can. So we went and told all of our neighbors in our town baked bread all last night. And, and they brought some, it was still warm. He said, are we in the right place? <laughs> he said, yeah, you're in the right place. You know, then so, they were able to distribute. George Mueller, if you read about him, uh, a life of trust, remarkable, and it's back in print again. But he said that, uh, you know, raising the orphans, he had 
several thousand orphans in his orphanage. And uh, he refused to ask for money. He refused. If somebody came up and wanted to write him a check for $10,000, he said, no. The Lord provides. Any money that came anonymously, he would take. But he never asked for anybody, and he'd never satisfy anybody who said, I'm going to give you this much money. He wouldn't take it. And one day they said that uh, the things got, were tighter than usual. They had no milk when the kids got up for breakfast, for, for porridge or the different things there. And then him and his staff got on their knees and started to pray, Lord, you know, the, you love orphans more than we do. You have lots of say in your word about orphans. As they were praying, they heard this ruckus out front. And they came out and there was a milk wagon broke down in front of the orphanage. And of course, there's no refrigeration that day. And the guys driving said, hey, look, you know, this will be spoiled by the time we get this straightened out. Could you use the milk for the orphans? They said, yeah, well, just as a matter of fact, you know. And the thing is, when we do the Lord's work in the Lord's way, we never lack the Lord's provision. So we have this interesting picture here. And then the Lord says, after, after Andrew says, well, we got, you know, there's a kid here, this little boy with five loaves and two fishes. But what are these among so many? Jesus says, make them sit down. Look, he says, he says, verse 10, Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Make the men sit down. And the Holy Spirit tells us there was a lot of grass there because it's the time of Passover. It's the spring. Mark says the, the grass is really green, you know, he maketh me to lay down in green pastures. Have them sit down means have them recline, literally. That's how they ate at a table. Have them recline. We're told there's 10,000 men, 5,000 men. Here it says, it says, make the, the men sit down. You look at verse 10. That first word, men, is anthropos. It's just the people. And then it says, there was much grass in that place. So the men, that's a different Greek word. It means males. There was no trouble figuring out these things in that day. Make the males sit down in number about 5,000. So there's 5,000 men plus women and children. You can imagine, what are the guys thinking? They're making them sit down. It's like three in the afternoon, time that evening sacrifice. And the people are saying, what are we doing? Are we going to have dinner? And they're thinking, there's Jesus up there with, you know, five English muffins and two sardines. And we've got all these people sitting down. God even cares about what they were sitting on. There was grass. It was green. There's nothing insignificant in our lives as he ministers to us and blesses us. Every detail. Not a sparrow falls without him taking note. So make them sit down. Matthew Mark said he arranged them in, into groups. Jesus said, now put them in groups of 50s and of 100. So they're organizing them into groups. You have to imagine, you know, if, if we took five times our most crowded service and just had them sitting around and Jesus was going to, he knew what the story was going to be here. And he says to the disciples, look, put them in groups. It's because he wants aisles. There's order in the kingdom. We couldn't serve communion here to 2,000 people without aisles. We need aisles for the ushers to come, for the bread and the cup. 
So Jesus says, have them sit down in groups, and he creates this pattern. And you can imagine the poor guys are saying to each other, what's he doing? You know, he just, you know, the people, they think they're going to, you're going to eat us. I'm glad there's aisles. That way we can run out of here when they start, you know, looking at us hungry. Uh, and people, you know, imagine that, you over 10,000 people, you're organized. Okay, you 50 sit here, but my friend's over there. Can I sit in his group? Or, you know, hey, my wife's over there. Can you put us together? Or my wife's here. Can you put her over there? You know, whatever the, do you know how people are when you try to organize 10,000 people, you know, what this scene must have been like. So he makes them sit down and the, 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 the men sat down in number about 5,000 and then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, and please take notice, says, as much as they would. So I don't know what the guys are thinking. Make them sit down. Make them, you know, recline. Get them ready to serve. And Jesus is up the top, and it says here that he looked up to heaven and he said, Grace. The guys must be thinking, Grace, everybody's going to get a little itty bitty thing. They can't, what do you mean? You know, they never read the story, they didn't know. And Jesus is here blessing the food. Now, if he's saying the traditional Hebrew prayer over the meal, which he probably was, it is blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth. They probably heard him say that, you know, a hundred times. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth. And the interesting thing about that prayer is they're not blessing the bread, they're blessing the provider. You know, if it was important for Jesus to say grace, I think it's important for us to say grace whenever we eat. You know, we live in a country where our kids open the refrigerator saying, nah, there's nothing to eat. It's full. What do you mean? You know, there's 500 hours in there and 200 hours in gas to get it, you know? Uh, or they open their closet. There's nothing to wear. You know, we, we say grace. And whenever I say grace, I think, Lord, I know there's hungry people all over the world. All over the world. And here we sit down, we get to stuff our face again. Don't want to do that, Lord, without thanking you, blessing you, and ask you, sanctify this so it, you know, gives us strength to serve you. Well, I think we should always do that. It's so interesting here. Part of your grace should be he is blessing the provider, not just the food. Blessing the provider. We, we can never, should never be unthankful when we have opportunity to sit and partake and the interesting thing is in Mark, Matthew, it tells us that he break it. It says here, he took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, the disciples to them that sat down, likewise the fish as much as they would. He's distributing. These are the stories that we hear. Uh, the little kid, you know, they, Jesus said, go see what you have. So they must have gone out of the crowd. Anybody have anything? Everybody's a little kid said, yeah, I got five loaves and two fishes. So then some quote unquote scholars try to say, well, what happened then is the adults came under conviction because the little kid was willing to share. And then they all pulled out their bread and their fish from their sleeves. 
That's, in theological terms, that's baloney, just in case you're wondering. Uh, some try to say, well, Jesus put a little bit in each basket and multiplies. It doesn't say that. That's why this is in all four Gospels. It, it tells us in Mark that he break the bread. It's an eritus tense there. That's what happened. He broke it and he gave it. It's an imperfect tense. He kept giving it. So what we see here is the miracle is taking place in Jesus' hands. In his hands. He's breaking it. And as he's breaking it, it's growing in his hand. The disciples are going out to the crowd and they must be passing each other in one of the aisles saying, do you believe this? You know, we've seen them do things, but do you believe this? You know, and he's, and the bread's being, you wish you could do that with a steak sandwich, right? You just keep growing in your hand. All the kids are full. You know, he's just breaking it, break it. Here's one of the reasons it's recorded. Look, he opens the eyes of the blind. He cleanses the leper. He heals the crippled, raises the dead. But in all of those circumstances, he's amending something. He's restoring something that already exists. In this miracle, it is pure creation. He is creating. Not only is he creating, it says he kept giving that to them as much as they would. They're allowed to give seconds, thirds, fourths. You know, the disciples are probably saying, look, oh, that guy over there, he's going to be yelling in a minute for more. I guarantee you, you know, just they're distributing as much as they would. When God is giving, he, 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 he gives generous. He sits them down on the grass and it's green. He distributes. And I guarantee you that was the best barley loaves and fish these people had ever tasted. He was making it right in his own hands there. Uh, and so you can imagine everybody just eating, eating, eating until they're filled is glutted. They're all, this is when, you know, this is when you're sitting back belching and you can't breathe anymore. This is when you're at a restaurant, you're loosening your belt under the table so nobody can see it, thinking, I wish I was home in my sweatpants so I could breathe. You know, that, that sort of, everybody is packed. They're full. That's, he fed them until they were full. The disciples are learning you know what? We're only distributors. We're not manufacturers. We only distribute. We don't produce. And everybody in this room should realize that as well. In this kingdom and in this season in human history when the world's falling apart, like such a time as this, like Esther, we're distributors. We're not producers. We distribute whether people eat it or refuse it, it's not, that's not on us. We receive it from his hand. We give it to a lost world, to a hungry world, starving, trying to fill itself with all kinds of other things. Interesting part of the miracle. It says then in verse 12, when they all ate as much as they wanted to, when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Now, Jewish tradition, they would do that with the food. In fact, they were legalistic to, to say at the end of a meal, anything bigger than an olive was to be gathered so that nothing would be lost. Because they didn't, you know, you didn't get sliced bread. 
So you didn't, th- these guys are not gathering up a piece of bread with a, somebody's mouth with a bite, bite out of it. You broke the bread and gave it. So they're, they're taking pieces back at this point in time. Jesus says, gather it up that nothing be lost of the food or of the lesson. What he didn't want to be lost was the lesson. This is what it tells us in the next verse. It says, therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets. This is the word, kafinos, for personal baskets, with fragments of the five barley loaves, Matthew says, in the fish, which remained over and above that which is eaten. Remained over, above that was eaten. Just understand this. The end of the day, they come back to Jesus, and each one of them has a basket. There's more food than they started with. And they wanted to send the people away because they thought they needed rest. But the rest they experienced at the end of the day from being obedient and serving Christ was a greater rest than they'd have ever known. And John, at 90 years old, writing his gospel, includes this scene. Because at the end of the day, they come back and they all look at each other and they're each there with a basket of food. Twelve of them, not thirteen. Which means Jesus, when he was breaking it, he knew who was going to have seconds, he knew who was going to have thirds, he knew what he was going to do, and he made sure to break enough so there would be 12 baskets gathered back up again. And they were looking at the Lord. What, what, did he smile at them? Send them away? What are these among so many? You know, when he told them to sit down, they're thinking, why? You know, they know the answer at this point. And maybe the Lord looked up and said, Andrew, you wanted to know what are these among so many? Why don't you say grace? And they remember he had said in Samaria, I have food to eat of that you know not of. And here's, here's the 12 gathered around each with their own basket at the end of the day. That's why it ends up in all the Gospels. Some amazing takeaways here as we look at this. I think, you know, whatever's in your hand, it's for all of us. We can look at the circumstance and think, Lord, I just don't have it. I can't handle this. I can't. I don't have it. I can't change this. I can't, I, I'm, I'm strangled. I can't do anything here. And, and look at the world around us. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a little pimple here. What am I going to do to, you know, how can I, you know. And, and he says, Give it to me. Give it to me. Put it in his hands. That's a takeaway for all of us. Don't think five loaves and two fish in your hands are insignificant. Because they're, they're one thing in your hands. They're a completely different thing in his hands. One of the other takeaways is God cares for us. What we sit on, whether we're hungry, you want to know, Jesus said, have you seen me? You've seen the Father. He cares for each of our lives. He knows when we're hungry. He knows when we're running on empty. He knows when we need sleep. He he cares for our physical existence as well as our spiritual existence. And he gives attention to that. Preachers. Home fellowship leaders. Your responsibility is to receive bread from his hands and distribute that 
Whether people eat it or not, that's not your responsibility. It's manna. It's living. Our responsibility to receive bread from his hands. Not your own resources, not your own brains, not your own certificates from his hands. And distribute that. There's a hungry, broken world out there. And they need what can only come from Jesus. Moms. You know, there's part of the story that we don't have here. And that is this little kid came home late. It was dark. He came running in the house and his mother, you know you're supposed to be home by dark. Where are you staying out this late? And he said, uh, Mom, you won't believe it. Uh, you know the, the, the bread and the fish you gave me? 10,000 people ate She said, go to bed. Stop lying. You know, she didn't, she didn't believe any of that. But I don't think when that kid laid down, he cared. Because his Jesus, Jesus was now his. And in his mind, he saw, he saw him say grace when the, those five loaves and two fishes may have been sitting on a stone in front of the Lord. He watched him say grace. He watched the whole process. And that mom, again, just by being, being steward, she fed 10,000 people that day. She's feeding us this morning just the simple act of stewardship in her own life. And there's another part to the story, no doubt. When he was a man, he's married. His kids would say, Dad, tell us again. What was it like? What did he look like? Does he love us too? Dad, tell us the story again. And when they had kids, he would hear Grandpa tell us about Jesus. What was he like? What did he say? How did he say grace again? 10,000 people, Grandpa. Simple stewardship affecting generations. The world wants to take our kids now. Second graders, third graders. And indoctrinate them. You have something that can change their lives. Simplicity. And if Jesus is real to you, they're going to say, tell us the story again, Mom. Tell us about Noah's Ark again. Tell me about Samson again. Tell me about Jesus walking on the water again. If they watch you, and they see that it's real in your life, that Jesus is real to you, you're going to infect this next generation. He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. The world doesn't have a chance to stop Jesus from being passed to the next generation. And then when you do that, 
You know, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, my son, let me tell you what my father told me. And what it's saying there is whenever you teach your kids, you're teaching your grandkids as well. What an incredible picture. Don't feel like you have much. Listen, and you'll hear him say, bring it to me. Don't think he cares. He cares what you sit on. He cares when you're hungry. You think all I have is this endless pile of wash. I never get into it. Look, that's a stewardship. Bring those simple things to him. Because when he breaks, when he gives, he doesn't overlook the baskets that need to be filled when all is done at the end of the day. And you will only find rest and blessing by obedience, by serving, and step into just this remarkable scene where we're just distributors. He's the manufacturer. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. And if you don't know this Jesus, we'd love to pray with you at the end of the service today. If you come up, we'll give you a Bible. We'd love to have a prayer with you, but let's bow our hearts. Lord, I know you've overheard. And Lord, what an incredible picture. What an incredible impression made on your disciples, Lord. What an incredible record handed to us as the world is unraveling, Lord. What encouragement to our hearts. Lord, we do look to you, Lord. Break this bread of this record and give to each of us until we're filled, Lord. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.